Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? It's good to see some of you that I know again. And for those of you who've never met me, my name is Troy. Like Ernie said, I'm here with my lovely wife, Pam. We've been married almost 38 years. We have seven kids, 13 grandbabies. And by God's grace, we've had the part of seeing now 28 churches getting started in our network and 30 salt companies. So... I'm sure you guys get some updates on the conference. It was an amazing time together. That's the good news. The bad news is Ernie asked me to teach. That's not the bad news. That could be. You can judge that after we're done. But the bad news is, in my mind, that Ernie asked me to teach Psalm 51. And in order to teach Psalm 51, and you can find that in your Bible this morning, it's right in the middle of your Bible. But I have to tell you a horrible story. Because when you read in Psalm 51, it gives the context, unlike so many other psalms, it says that this psalm was written after David was confronted by Nathan, after David had committed adultery literally raped Bathsheba, one of his mighty warrior's wife. And I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but if you're not familiar with this story, you won't be able to fully enter in to Psalm 51. And I want to say to you this morning that Psalm 51 is not just David's story, but it's my story. It's not just here for us to see how awful this man became, but literally, it's here to reflect on how awful we are. And it's here to help guide us to the place that God wants us to be, because if we grasp this psalm this morning, none of us would leave here the same, and in fact, we all would be significantly different. You know the story of David, I hope, and if you don't, let me tell you a little bit about him. David was a shepherd boy anointed by Samuel. He was the youngest and not the most favored of his brothers. In fact, all of his brothers seemed like better candidates to become the king of Israel. But God had chose David, maybe not because of his strength, but because of his profound weaknesses. And when Samuel anointed David, it was to David that he said, don't look like man looks. Don't look on the outward appearance, but there's something significant about his heart. And we began to see the overflow of his heart was a heart of worship as he wrote songs and hymns and spiritual songs, even as a shepherd boy. And when the wolf came, you know, he took his slingshot, only a boy named David, you know. And he killed a wolf. When the bear came, he took his slingshot and killed the bear. And then he got to be a part of Uber Eats. And so he was the first delivery boy to his brothers when his brothers were in battle with King Saul. And as they were in the battle and they were camped on this ridge, and every day that would come up on the ridge was a giant named... So you do know the story. And David's brothers and all of Saul's army were cowardice. And yet David, because he had a heart for God, knew that God would win the battle. And so he took his slingshot and a stone and he charged after the Goliath, David, and he slew him down. And that began a tremendous journey of victories in the life of David. You can read about it in the Kings and Chronicles, in 1 and 2 Samuel. 
But we get to this place in the story, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we see a little different David. 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, When kings would go out to war, now the strongest, most powerful man in the world at the known time, King David, it says that he stayed home in his house while he sent his army out to war. And one night, as his army was battling out on war, he was walking around the outer roof of his terrace, and he gazed on a woman, a naked woman who was bathing, and he lusted after her, and he said, I must have this woman for myself. And he abused his power, and he abused his leadership, and he called this woman to him, and don't believe for a second that he did not know who she was. Because it was a woman known to David because it was the wife of Uriah, who was one of 30 of David's closest colleagues and mighty men. Can you imagine this? And maybe he had lusted after Bathsheba before. And maybe when Uriah and Bathsheba were dining at his house, he thought to himself, I would like to have this woman. And so this king, when the husband was out to war fighting his battle, he lusted after this woman. He called her in and he raped her in his own bed. And then remained quiet. It's in her home. We see later in 2 Samuel 11, she sent word to David, I'm pregnant. David, wanting to cover his sin, called his friend home from battle. And he says, how's the battle going, Uriah? Why don't you go in and be with your wife? And why did he do that? Because he wanted Uriah to sleep with his lovely wife so that the sin could be covered and Uriah would believe that the child that was born into her was not his sinful rape, but actually was Uriah's righteousness. But Uriah wouldn't go in. So what did David do? He had him get drunk. And he still wouldn't go in. Uriah said, how can I go sleep with my lovely wife while all of my men are sleeping under the stars engaged in battle? Can you imagine the righteousness of this man? Can you imagine the conviction of David when he wasn't in battle and he was the king supposed to be in battle? And so you know what David did? He should have said, you're a better man than me, Uriah. I have to tell you something. No. He gave Uriah, one of his mighty warriors, a note. And do you know what the note said? It was a note to Joab, the leader of God's army, the leader of David's army. And it said to this, when Uriah gets back, put him where the fighting is the worst. And in the midst of the battle, Put Uriah in the very front, and when the battle is going on, withdraw from him so that he is slaughtered in battle. Uriah carried that note. So Joab did as the king had commanded, and he took great losses, and he sent word back to the king, and the king celebrated that Uriah had died, and now his sin was covered. 
And so he let Bathsheba mourn for a little while, and then he took her to himself to be his wife. I want to ask you a question. What was she thinking? What was she feeling? What was she experiencing? The abuse of this king. Do you know the story goes on, they lost the baby. Then later they would have another one who would be Solomon who would become the next king and that's a story from another day and another time. But in the midst of this story, God raised up a man named Nathan. Are you familiar with him? He was a prophet of God. And David thought, wow, I've covered my sin. Nobody is gonna know. And by the way, God always knows. And by the way, Jesus said there's no sin that will ever get covered that won't be uncovered. And whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the mountaintops. And by the way, do you know your sin will always find you out? Sin is like a seed. If you bury it, it will grow. And the deeper you bury it, the bigger the roots will be. And the more destruction it will have when it comes out. Sin will find you out. That is a guarantee. And here David had buried his sin. And now God says to Nathan, this prophet, hey, I need you to confront somebody. And Nathan says, sweet, I love to that Lord who is it he said David the king he said whoa (laughs) wait no no I don't know if you know him he's a bad man and when God told him to confront him Nathan almost certainly thought today is the day that I die See, David had already demonstrated he had to go to whatever lengths to cover his sin. And so now this young prophet, Nathan, is going to come in. He's going to confront David to his face. What do you think Nathan thought David would do? I think he would say, off with your head. And yet cover again. Nathan came in and he told a parable. Are you familiar with the parable? He said there was a man who had thousands of sheep. And he wanted to entertain his guest. And so instead of taking one of his own lambs, he took from one of his people a poor man who only had one little lamb that he loved and he cared for. That he cherished with all his heart because it was the only lamb. And this rich man took the poor man's little lamb and he slaughtered it and he fed it to his guest because he didn't want to sacrifice one of his own. And you know what David's response was, don't you? He was enraged. And he said, who has done this? He will pay back four times. And I will have his head. He will die. Can you imagine what Nathan's heart would have been doing in that moment? I think it's like a little rabbit's heart being chased by something that he knows is going to eat him. And it was just going. But he summoned up his courage and he pointed at David and said to him, you are the man. You are the man. And it was at that moment that we get this song. I have a question for you. How did David get to this place? What happened to the David who fought Goliath? 
What happened to the David that honored Saul? What happened to the David who everyone desired to be their king, even Jonathan, the rightful heir? What happened to the mighty king who surrounded himself with men of honor and valor, men who Uriah wanted to follow? What happened to that man? What caused him to lose his zeal for God? What happened to his desire to bring God glory no matter what? What happened to him? Because we need to see what happened to him because that's the same thing that happens to us. Because the journey of David is our journey as well. I don't know what the worst sin that you've ever committed is or what sin you have unconfessed. But I guarantee this morning, God will give you freedom if you'd be willing to take the step of David. And rather than cover your sin, actually expose it. Maybe for you, you have an addiction to pornography and lust. And you will never win that battle in private. Maybe in your past, sometime you committed a horrible sin, or maybe even had an abortion. Maybe there's another secret sin that you're bearing. You've been bearing it for a long time. Maybe you've been unfaithful to your spouse or some other sinful relationship. I don't know what it is. Maybe you have brokenness in your family and just hatred or bitterness towards someone that you know you should love. Maybe you've deceived somebody or cheated on your taxes. Maybe you've told lies to cover your failures. Maybe you've told lies to make yourself look better than you actually do. Maybe you've even stolen things. You've cheated your boss or misrepresented your taxes. Or maybe you just have outbursts of anger that if anybody knew the kind of person that you were in your family, they would be shocked that you even attend church. I don't know what it is for you, but we all have something that I know. And today I'm wondering are we even convicted of our sin? We think about David and we think, that's awful. I've never done that. Never raped anybody. Never committed adultery. Never murdered. Especially not a good dude. Right? And I wonder if we're so focused on the criminal David that we fail to see the reality of where we are on our own heart. And when we hear the story of David, we're oblivious even to our own sin. And today this psalm, this psalm of David, out of the overflow of his heart, out of the brokenness of his heart, actually will lead us to repentance ourselves. And my prayer for us this morning is not that we would minimize what David did, but that we would stop minimizing what we have done. Because all of us think we're righteousness based on our own behavior compared to the behavior of others. And I'm telling you, if you want to compare yourself to the behavior of anybody, here's your comparison. Jesus Christ. And the gap is only between him and everybody else. And the worst person that ever lived, maybe you can name him, maybe be David in this moment or Adolf Hitler or whoever you would say. The worst person who ever lived and the best person who ever lived. The gap between them compared to the gap between you and Jesus is zero. And this morning we gather as a church to worship, not so we can continue to mask and cover our sin, but so that we can be convicted by the Spirit and have a courage enough to ask forgiveness for our sins. And we worship not because we are without sin, but we worship in spite of our sin because our sins are forgiven. And it's what enables us to continue to pursue Jesus regardless of our sins. And David knew this well. Let's look at the psalm together. Look how it opens up. 
so beautiful. Be gracious to me, God. I love the Psalms. They say, have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. When you think about your sin in God, what do you think his posture is toward you? David knew what it was. You see how he starts the psalm? Have mercy. Have mercy on me, God. Be gracious to me. Why? Because of your faithful love and your abundant compassion. I, I have 13 grandkids. I like talking about them. They're awesome. Ten boys, three girls. Need more girls. All the girls are in one family. You know, so... And some of my kids are already done. So we need more girls. That's all I'm saying. Need more girls. But my granddaughter the other day was over at my house. And she said to me, Papa, because she calls me Papa. She said, can I sit in your lap? I said to her, be gone, child. Just this week, we had birthday lunch from one of my grandsons, and the smallest one, his name's Cage, and he is a fighter, for sure. He, he brought animals to fight with while we were eating Mexican food, and he, he ran over to me, and he said, Papa, he said, I sit in your lap. Not while I'm eating. You're messy. I got out. To pay the bill, because Papa always has to pay the bill, and he saw I had money. He said, Papa, give me a dollar. I said, you worthless grandson, always begging me for money. Do you think this grows on trees? Slapped him. Now you go, you know, none of that is true. My granddaughter said, Papa, can I sit in your lap? I melted and thought, what a joy that you would desire to sit in my lap. And my grandson said, I sit in your lap. I didn't care if he was going to destroy my plate. What a joy it was of mine that he would want to be in my lap. And when he saw that I had a dollar and he asked me for the dollar, I joyfully gave him a dollar and I would have given him whatever he asked. Why? Because he's my grandson and my posture toward my kid and toward my grandkids is not judgment. It is grace. It is mercy. And Jesus Christ has proven already to all of us that his posture toward us who are made in his image is not judgment but is grace and mercy. And David knew this and he hadn't even seen the cross. And so when he came to God as a rapist, when he came to God as a murderer, when he came to God with his conviction, his first words were, have mercy on me, God. And you know what God's first response was? Yes, 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 yes. 
I don't care what you've done. But when you come to God for mercy, and we sang it this morning, you need to know that God's answer is yes. You know, mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get judgment. He said, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant kindness, wash my guilt, cleanse my sin. David knew the character of God. Imagine what he would have thought of God if he had ever met Jesus. Or been able to read the Gospels. Or hear the story. Or watch what Jesus did for unrepentant men and women like us all the time. What if he had heard the Lord's Prayer? He was writing his own prayer at this moment. But what if he had heard the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? Forgive us. How long has it been since your prayer to God was, forgive me? Have you listened to the prayers that you pray and the prayers of others? I have. I take notes sometimes. And I wonder how long it's been since we prayed to God and didn't ask for something. But instead, we prayed to God and said, please, forgive me of my sin. And then named it. See, we need to pray prayers of mercy, prayers of confession for me and no one else. We need to learn to pray, have mercy on us, God. Because when you're looking for God's mercy, guess what you want to give to others? Rather than judgment, you want to give them mercy as well. Look at verse 3. David continues, for I'm conscious of my rebellion. He wasn't, but he was now. And my sin is always before me against you, and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence on me. You're blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. You know, I've been a pastor now for almost 40 years. Can you believe that, Ernie? Almost 40 years. That's a long time. By God's grace, I'll get some more. And here's what I discovered. Here's a profound truth for all of you guys to grasp. You know when the number one reason I've discovered people feel guilty? They are. But we don't want to confess our guilt. We want to blame others. What about when your parents called your first, middle, and last name when you were just a child? Didn't you rifle through all of your week trying to figure out what you did that they discovered that you were going to get in trouble for? Man, I use this on my kids all the time. I would call downstairs with my angry dad voice, and I would say, Tyler Thomas Nesbitt, get up here right now. So I know what would be going on in his mind. He'd be rifling through all the sins he committed, thinking I had discovered something I hadn't yet discovered, and he was going to tell me a good excuse and a good lie. And we got up to the top of the stairs, I would say, boy, I love you so much, and I was just thinking of you, and I could not wait to see you. So I yelled at you, so you come up here, just so I could tell you how much I love you. And I would just watch the terror drip off his face. (laughs) And then he'd go back downstairs thinking, you are a cruel dad. (laughs) But you know, sometimes we do cover our sin, don't we? And we need a Nathan. Do you think it was a secret what the king had done? Oh, you read the text? He even got somebody to go get Bathsheba 
And the guy said, uh, it's your eyes, wife. Your buddy. And David ran over that. He ran over. What do you think the person did? You think he didn't tell anybody? You know anything juicy? You see, David was becoming a phony and everybody knew it, but David had covered it. And Nathan was the only one who was bold enough to take that person in authority and say, I answer to God alone. And so I'm going to confront you with your sin. What does your Bible say in Matthew 18? If you find a brother in sin, confront him. Love him enough to confront him. Don't hate him by telling someone else. Because you can actually minimize the sin of another if you love them enough to help them confess their sin. Because you see what David needed? He needed a Nathan to confront him so that he could be broken and repentant before God because he had gotten too far down the road. He had walked away from the battle. He had compromised too many times. And it was almost as though he had forgotten that he murdered, that he raped, that he committed adultery, that he ravaged his own kingdom. And yet this prophet, we need him in our lives, don't we? I think about Psalm 32. David said, this is my experience after my sin. Psalm 32 said, when I didn't confess my sin, he said, I just felt like the heat of summer was on me and my bones were becoming brittle and I was getting less and less weak in my energy toward God. And he knew God owed him nothing but judgment. And he says in this psalm, I have never been righteous. I was guilty from childhood. Some of you guys, Timmy, you're about to have your first kid. And you know what? You're going to love it so much. You're going to love your wife so much. And you're going to know new levels of love like you've never known before. But you know what? You're about to give birth to a real sinful person. And you'll discover that quickly too. You will never give them a lesson to lie and they'll learn that quick. You'll never give them a lesson to be selfish and they'll know that from the beginning. You will never teach them to cheat or heat, hit or be angry or be violent. Guess what? It's in them already. You put it in. Or maybe you lend I think it's Timmy. <laughs> and it's in all of us from birth. David wasn't trying to minimize what he did to Bathsheba and the hurt toward Bathsheba, but he was trying to focus on all sin is before God. And if you're ever going to repent for, from your sin, it's going to be in the presence of God. I love how the Apostle Paul thought about his sin the closer he got to Jesus. See, one of his first letters was 1 Corinthians. And he said in that letter that he was the least of the apostles. One of his later letters, or his middle letters, was Ephesians. And he said in that letter that he was the least of the saints. See, at least of the apostles, there are only 12 of those. And now, least of the saints, and there were thousands of those at the time. But when he gets to 1 Timothy, the last book that he wrote, maybe 2 Timothy being the last, the second to last book that he wrote, how did he describe himself? That God could display in me the present tense foremost of sinners. The grace of God. Do you think Paul ever stopped confessing his sin? I was at conference with my parents. They're, they're getting older, 85. They've been married 65 years. And we were talking about praying the 1002 prayer. And the first words that came out of my 85-year-old mom's mouth was, God, please forgive me. It's been days since I've shared the gospel with anybody. Oh, see, that's a sin. Doesn't the Bible say anybody knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it? And you know what I thought? I thought, man, I need to not let her confess sins like that because that puts me in a 
deep pile of sins I need to confess. When we lose confession, guys, we lose touch with God's presence. You think you're going to jump into God's presence and just feel clean and holy? No, you're going to feel humble and in need of his grace. But I love verse 6. We're going to have to go quicker. I I usually get it right second service, Ernie. (laughs) So... He says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sin and blot out all my guilt. God created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Guys, God's desire is for our good and Satan's desire through sin is for our destruction. God wants our best, he wants the worst. God wants integrity, authenticity, realness, the value of a clear conscience. Being able to look everybody in the eye and say, I am sorry for the way that I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? Paul told Timothy the reason so many people shipwreck in their faith is because they fail to gain a clear conscience. And a clear conscience is nothing more than for you to deal with the sins that you know you've committed. And once you start dealing with those, God will actually enable you to deal with others. And he said, rejoice or restore to me the joy of my salvation. Paul writes, or, or, or David writes in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and even the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Now, would that be all? Awesome. Sometimes we can get our mouth right, but what's really in our heart? Oh, you sorry second. Oh, hey, it's good to see you, right? You, you see how that just works its way out? But what if we let God wash us so clean from sin that the meditation of our heart was pleasing to God? It begins with this confession. See, so many people experience the joy of salvation when they first get saved, don't they? And how do they describe it? Oh, there was just this weight that was lifted off of me. And then you see them 10 years later in their faith, and how much joy do they have? They need to pray this prayer. They need to pray this prayer, right? Restore. (laughs) What happened? They stopped confessing their sin. They stop drawing close to Christ. They have a lack of integrity on the inner self. Let's look at these last verses together. Verse 14. David writes, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What he's saying here is worship will flow from a place of forgiveness. What pleases God is not our performance. I'm going to say that again. What pleases God is not our performance, it's our repentance. 
Not our boasting in good things that we have done, but rather in our humbling of ourselves to things that we need to confess. Hebrews 13.5 says this, God loves the sacrifice of praise. And what David is saying is, I want to get to the place, I want to get back to the place where I'm writing songs to the Lord. I want to get back to the place where I'm singing songs to the Lord. Because somewhere along the way, he had lost that. Our relationship with God began with our first acknowledgement of sin and the first time we repented. But it continues with the ongoing pattern of confession and forsaking of sin and ongoing repentance, the health of our relationship with God is firmly rooted in our ability to continue to acknowledge sin in our life, to confess it and repent it and repent of it. You know, we're kind of out of time, but i tell you one more story. Or I could read a psalm. I could read a psalm and tell a story. So I was a, a lead pastor of a large church in Ames, Iowa, and I went to Lowe's. And I'm not very handy, but I wanted a DYI. So I got a new door knob, took it home, broke it, trying to install it. So I decided, well, I'll just return it, tell them it was broke. They ever done anything like that? Yeah. I did it. I did it. So I took it in there and got a new one. And uh, I don't know how the Holy Spirit works for you, Steve, but the way he works for me, he just bugs me most of the time. And uh, like, really? Really you're doing that? I said, yeah, I really am doing it. And they got lots of them. They don't care. It's no big deal. No big deal. So I went home. And this time I got it right and I fixed it. But, you know, every time I touched that door, you know what I felt? You're a thief. That, that's what you do for $45. And then time went on, and guess what? I didn't feel anymore. I didn't feel like a thief. And I was convicted by one of my kids who felt guilty that they found a quarter and wanted to pocket it rather than found the person whose quarter it was. And I remembered how I used to be conscious of my sin that I wouldn't even steal a quarter because I knew it would separate me from the loving relationship with God because I'd feel the guilt of sin rather than the righteousness of true behavior. So I thought, oh, God, I can't do it. I can't, I can't go back to, I've already confessed all my worst sins, God. You know, you know, it's just $45. And, you know, he just kept bugging me till I went to Lowe's. I asked for the manager I said, I, I stole a lock from guys, told them the story, and I just, I am so sorry. I want to pay. And they said, oh, dude, it happens all the time. I said, I'm sorry. I don't want to be someone who makes that happen all the time. Let me pay. He said, no. He said, we wrote up. You're, you're good. And I said, no, I need to pay. He said, no, you're good. If you had actually told us what you did, we'd have replaced it. You're good. And you know what? I walked out of Lowe's that day, good. Not because he didn't make me pay the $45 that I should have paid that I could have owed. Because I had a restored conscience before God. And I no longer 
felt like a thief. That's the last thing I've stolen that I'm aware of. But you know, guys, I can tell you sin after sin after sin after sin that until I confessed it and forsaked it, I lost what God wanted all of us to have. And I look around the room and I see believers who lack so much joy and lack so much of what God wants them to have. And I wonder if it's not the demonic, satanic grip of sin on your soul that if you would just confess it and forsake it. Did you rape anybody? Did you murder the person? Probably not. So why did God give us this story? So we could see how he responds even if you did. And if you did, I would rather be free in jail than in jail and free. You know what I'm saying? So we'll close because Timmy said I could read a psalm too. With Psalm 103, this is another psalm that David wrote. Listen to this. After he had been forgiven. My soul, bless the Lord. And all that is in me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord. And don't forget any of his benefits. He forgives all my iniquity and he heals all of my diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like, renewed like an eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and judgment for all the oppressed. He revealed the ways of Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are from above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows that we are made of dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and it places no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant and remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength, who do his word obedience to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Mercy Hill, will you bless the Lord with me? On one hand, Father, we hate the story of David. It's crazy to me, Lord, that Bathsheba is one of the women listed in the lineage of your birth. How you take broken things and make good. Lord, if David could go back, I think he would not do
do what he did. I know he wouldn't. And I know that's the place of all of us this morning, Lord. If we could go back, whatever it is that has come to our mind that we need to confess, that we need to forsake, that we need to repent of. If we could go back, God, we'd, we'd do something different, but then, Lord, we'd sin again. That's why we love what First John says, the disciple who you loved. He taught us, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all sin. And I pray that David would lead us to repentance this morning, that we would stop covering. Lord, if we need to talk to our spouse, that we would talk to our spouse and confess to them. If we need to talk to a roommate, that we would talk to a roommate. If we need to talk to a leader, a staff person, Lord, would you bring us to your throne with confession on our lips that we would cry out for your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace. Thank you that you want to give it worse than we want it. And the Psalms and the story of the gospel prove that. Empower us to repent and confess. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.